1: Thursday, Vice President Biden held a town hall as scheduled on ABC. At the same time, NBC laid a thirst trap for President Trump. One town hall was a thoughtful, cogent discussion of the issues facing our country. The other featured President Trump. We now present a rebroadcast of those town halls the way most Americans watch them,
2: flipping
3: back and forth,
4: trying to decide between a Hallmark movie
3: and an alien autopsy. This is Dueling Town Halls. This is how this weekend's episode of Saturday Night Live kicked off. Because it's now two weeks away from the election, the show seemed to have no choice but to satirize the biggest televised political events of last week, Biden's town hall with Jim Carrey's already stale Joe Biden impression. And that brings us to 1939, a year when I went to the World's Fair and met the real Mickey Mouse and Trump's town hall with Alec Baldwin's rancid take on Donald Trump. And that's why, that's why we're going to have a V-shaped recovery, a deep V with rippling pecs and
2: a toned eight-pack, a swimmer's body, basically, like I have after COVID. And it's going to
3: be beautiful. If the amount of live studio audience laughter is any barometer, the cold open was the latest in a long line of failed attempts to try and make something very serious and scary, funny. For four years now, late night television has been trying to make fun of a presidency that already feels like an Onion headline, a presidency that makes Onion headlines a reality. Back in March of this year, The Onion published a satirical article titled Man Just Buying One of Every Cleaning Product in Case Trump Announces Its Coronavirus Cure. And just one month later... Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do
2: something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning?
3: It's really it's hard to satirize something that already feels like satire. But that hasn't stopped TV from trying and failing. I think that comedy, especially in the United States, has a
1: tendency to treat the world as having a sort of status quo, a sort of stability that can always be returned to. Donald Trump inherently upends that. Emily Vanderwerf is the critic at large for Vox. He is this, like, thing that points out a lot of flaws in our underlying ways we think about comedy. And in order to, like, make comedy better in the Trumpless future, whenever that arrives, we have to really grapple with the ways that he points out flaws in, in sort of our system of court jesters, if you will. Our political comedy has a tendency, just like our political journalism, to be like, well, you know, both sides do it. Both sides are equally at fault. But he puts a, 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 a magnifying glass on the American presidency and the problems of sort of American empire, both domestically and globally, in a way that, like, makes us uncomfortable.
3: Mr. President, I'm heading home for the night. Can I get you anything?
1: No,
2: thank you, David, but hey. How do you like working at the White House? Are your parents proud?
1: I tell them I work at Applebee's. That's That's
2: (laughs) good. One more thing, you know I love my daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared. They always keep me so calm and make sure I don't do anything too crazy.
3: That's true, sir.
2: So, quick question, are they gone?
3: Yes, uh, they don't work on Shabbat.
2: Perfect. When the Jews are away, the Goys will play. (laughs) Send in Steve Bannon.
1: In America, political humor is, you know, we do impressions of powerful people. And, like, there's no real underlying substance there. But Donald Trump's ridiculousness is so overt and on its face that a lot more people than normally would be are tuned into the ways that his administration is either uniquely terrible or terrible in a way that continues policies that they might not have agreed with, but were easier to ignore when somebody who was less overtly ridiculous was standing behind the podium. So you create this situation in which the only way to satirize him is sort of to satirize America. And that's a lot harder to do because, you know, why is it that we're only mad about a thing when Donald Trump is doing it? Slash, Why is it so hard for us to tell compelling humor about the fact that this man let uh, a pandemic get out of control and then got sick with it himself?
3: Right. And that was the week the nation's quintessential variety show came back from a summer break and seemed to struggle with how to approach the humor in this sort of insane situation. (laughs) Okay, serious voice. Uh, While in the hospital, the president isn't allowed to see any guests, but he is expected to be visited by three ghosts, probably (laughs) one from his past, one from his. Okay, look, this is weird
1: because a lot of people. I think the biggest risk you make is you don't have a comedic point of view, like comedy needs a point of view. One of the things I think SNL really struggles with is Lauren Michaels famously is like, we are making this for Republicans and Democrats. We are making this for et cetera, et cetera. And like. I th- honestly think that's fine if you are in a world where America is not as polarized as it is right now. But if you're trying to occupy some sort of nebulous middle, you end up trying to appeal to everyone in a way that just doesn't like work for anyone. But you do that for four years uh, every other Saturday night or whatever it is. I think they do 20, uh, 20 episodes a season. It gets It gets wearing. It wears
3: you down. It's just like there's nothing more there. Does anyone like SNL's Trump work? Does anyone appreciate Alec Baldwin's impression of Donald Trump? And and if not, why do they keep doing it? <laughs>
1: Alec Baldwin won an Emmy for playing Donald Trump. Uh, I suppose I should say,
3: at long last, Mr. President, here is your Emmy. So it works, but certainly not for everyone, certainly not for you, I assume, based on an article you wrote earlier this month that argued Saturday Night Live is woefully unequipped for the Trump era. SNL just, the problem is it has to
1: be made so quickly and on such a tight time scale that makes it almost impossible for it to do anything besides choose the most obvious impersonation of a president. You know, George W. Bush is kind of an idiot.
2: Let me make something very clear. There was utterly no legal or military justification for this strike.
1: Uh, Bill Clinton is a horny glutton.
2: Oh, and I actually did all that. (laughs) I mean, I didn't, but... Uh,
1: Obama is kind of a a boring technocrat. Now I know I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm distant. Uh, I'm aloof. Like, that's what Uh, SNL settled on for all of those people. And then just over eight years, it just kept playing that basic note. And I actually... Think that one thing that has been worse in the Trump era is SNL has now almost exclusively turned over Washington Power player impressions to celebrities. And celebrities are rarely as good at building out these characters as, say, you know, imagine that Daryl Hammond. Hammond, Yeah, yeah, Daryl Hammond used to do Trump. He used to be their go-to for Trump. Most
2: of you know who I am already because I'm rich and I'm handsome. If you're a man, you want my life. If you're a woman,
1: well, I've got what you want, okay? They replaced him with Baldwin. But, like, he's a master impressionist. Like, he would have been so much better in that role.
3: Right. And part of the issue with Trump compared to all those other guys is that he's just constantly everywhere. On Twitter, on TV, on the radio, on podcasts. We don't need to hear or see more Trump.
1: Right. And I think... That is a thing that everyone who's trying to make fun of Trump has to bump up against eventually. Where I think SNL has uniquely failed compared to some other programs, say, is it has never come up with anything to say about the circus surrounding Trump. The ridiculousness of Trump makes him hard to make fun of, but that should be you looking for other targets, not just being like, oh, he shouts a lot and he has a a big New York accent and he wears a lot of tanner and he kind of has a pout. So yeah, for quite a while there uh, Alec Baldwin was being treated as like a, a hero of the the second American Revolution or something and that's just not the case anymore but like there is this weird reflex in the American media to be like, well, let's see what SNL had to say about it and yet the news cycle moves so quickly now that SNL is almost an afterthought yet we keep treating it like this thing that is trenchant
3: Emily, what's like the funniest political television you've seen? during the Trump presidency. Do you recall?
1: My long silence should be my answer. Um, I <laughs> I will say this. I don't think this was a great television show, but I think it was a fascinating television show, and I think it had more to say about our times than just about any other satire. And I think that is the, the Comedy Central program, The President Show, huh. which starred this uh, guy who does an amazing impression of trump sir people are saying you are mentally unfit for the office and we both know that's not true
2: i'm incredibly mentally fit my doctor said i had the most neurons
1: of any person he had ever met
2: i wish i had so so many many neurons neurons.
1: and the basic idea of it was he was playing donald trump and it was kind of a sketch comedy show but it was so smart about the ways that donald trump is not just sui generous like he 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 came from somewhere there is a reason he exists and like there is this tendency to treat Donald Trump as an aberration i think by especially by a lot of political satirists and the president show never did that that the final moment of its christmas special which i believe was its final episode ever was everybody in the Trump administration singing uh, Wise Up from the film Magnolia. <laughs> it's <not laughs> what you thought when you first began it. But then it expanded to be like, oh, here's the Democrats singing this, here's other people singing this, Here's," and it's just like, it's all part of this, this broken um, system that nobody really wants to fix because the power within it is so entrenched and like that show was the only show that really tried to make that point. It's
4: not going to
1: stop tell you why <laughs>
3: RIP the President Show. Anything else that works for you? We we got a shout out last week tonight with John Oliver, and people seem to really love Colbert. Right?
1: His jokes are very catered toward, um, I guess I'd say your rich aunt who's like really involved in like certain. Political issues. It's broad humor, but it definitely has a point of view of Donald Trump is ridiculous. And especially in quarantine, Colbert has been really good. Like he's gone back to his offices and he's performing for, in essence, his family and his closest friends.
3: We're facing a global pandemic that has killed 180,000 Americans. Heavily armed Rambo wannabes are murdering people in our streets. The strongest hurricane in the history of the Gulf Coast is making landfall. As I speak, and the RNC's message is, who's up for four more years, huh?
1: uh, I think Seth Meyers on NBC is always good. He's a little bit closer to the old uh, John Stewart vein of, you know, we're going to talk about the issues of the day. We're going to make jokes about them. And I think he's also really smart about bringing in voices other than the traditional white guy who makes jokes about the news.
0: Amber, do you think Trump was mad when he saw that written on the street? No, he doesn't know how to read. He
3: thinks it says Blake Lively matters, and he loves it.
1: But I don't think TV is the place to find political humor. <laughs> what is? I I have just been imp- so enamored with this this Twitter comedian. Her name is Kylie Brakeman, and she makes these videos that are basically just like taking various types that live in our political landscape, and like I think she's so smart about using the tools of Twitter which is kind of the best place for political humor right now because it's the only thing that moves as fast as the news cycle. I think because often good political satire comes from people who are young and have something to prove and have nothing to lose, the internet's where those people are.
3: After the break, Kylie Brakeman it's today explained.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that Everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. Grow your business in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started.
4: I'm Kylie Brakeman. I am a comedian and writer and actor.
3: Kylie, as you'll remember from before the break, was Emily's example of someone who's doing a better political comedy right now, all by herself
4: for the Internet. I guess I went viral. I guess I'm a viral sensation. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just started making front facing videos in my room and I never expected them to super take off. I was just sort of trying to prove that I was doing something creative during this time. Hello, my name is Suburban Housewife. My bio is seven random nouns and I for one will be voting for Trump. It's your phone on reverse mode. It's your phone on selfie mode. The people who are saying that we can't reopen schools are ignoring a very real problem. And that problem is that my children, Axel and McKenna Brentlin, are bored. And it is a low production value uh, character video that you shoot yourself. And for some reason, that's all people click on now. My name's COVID and I'm a little stinker. Me being in the president its just another one of my classic little pranks. I'm like the jokester of my friend group. I'm like always doing like hilarious gags. People kind of want something that's like immediate right now. They want something that's like, oh, it's your friend on FaceTime. Like they like, and I get it. I don't even want to watch a show. It's too much work. Um, but watching like a one minute bit from someone is just so much more digestible when everyone's like emotionally traumatized.
3: So once you hack this and figure out that this is exactly the kind of stuff people want, what do you decide to add to the conversation? What do you do?
4: I guess the character I sort of keep coming back to that is recurring, and I I do a lot of stuff, but like, it's the thing I jump to first in improv scenes, which is just like... Very clueless, liberal, self-important white woman. Wakey-wakey, eggs and drinky. Everything happens for a race and that's why you're slumped over a patio chair. Treat yourself to a glass of mom back. I first went viral with this video, why I won't wear a mask. I can't breathe in this thing because every time I put it on, I hold my breath on purpose. So difficult to put on, like I can't put it on because I'm using one hand to hold the camera. And it was just kind of this like, waspy orange county lady uh talking about all the different reasons for why she can't wear her mask and they were just absurd heightened versions like how do i know that um this isn't full of spiders there is no way for me to check i was diagnosed with a fake uh disease called spider blindness where i can only see spiders if it benefits me politically i was just inspired by the absurdity of why someone would even think to not wear one or to think that it was bad to wear one. It's such a small inconvenience that I could not conceive of a logical reason for why. And I think that's why it maybe did so well.
3: Where did you post it?
4: I posted on um, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, but Twitter is where um, most of my jam is.
3: What, What kind of responses did you get on Twitter?
4: I got a lot. I mean, a lot of it was supportive. And then a lot of it was like people who were pro mask, but didn't realize I was joking, which is scary in itself. Um, Either people cannot digest media anymore or people have gotten so crazy that um, like an obvious parody looks like truth. But I got some like death threats from those people, my first death threat ever. It was very fun.
3: Just to be clear here, the mask wearing, presumably liberals out there, We're sending you death threats?
4: Yes, because they couldn't tell. Um, I got a few anti-mask conspiracy people who were like, the oxygen molecules are too big to fit through the mask, like, in the comments, but most of it was, like, liberals who were like, how dare you not wear your mask in the CBS? And I get it, Um, but also, come on, guys, let's just, um, let's evaluate media a little bit. (laughs)
3: How refreshing to be hated by both sides.
4: I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to trash liberals today. I'm a both sides (laughs) comedian. And I think it resonated with people who are also online for 10 hours a day. Where do you go after that? Well, then I, I had to go after the Trump bots. Hello, my name is Proud American. My job is America and my husband is a gun. Good afternoon. I am a stock photo of a person of color and I for one do not think Trump is racist. Who were, you know, it's it's just the classic person who's like, hello, my name is former Democrat MAGA mom. My hobbies are being real and my interests are breathing. I for one will not be supporting the NBA. I've tweeted this 126 times. I am an eagle wearing a hat. Just like these completely fake sounding people who tweet the same thing. 1,200 times a day. And there's so many fake accounts out there. So I was just kind of making fun of that in a very heightened version. And that um, took off pretty well as well.
3: It's really interesting. So pre-pandemic, you're like this UCB improv theater comedian. Pandemic happens, you start cranking out these more political videos on social media. And now you've got, what, like over 100,000 people telling you to keep going to make more of it. Do you consider yourself like, a political comedian now, three months after posting your first big video?
4: Well, I would say I, like, I enjoy doing it. I think that I do have a voice for it. And so it is fun to, like, occupy a role that I, I don't know if I see always. But I, it is, it's crazy to be recognized as, like, a legitimate form of anything because <laughs> I am truly just on selfie mode. I mean, I'm in, I'm shooting in 4K, but it is still selfie mode.
3: <laughs> that being said, I'm curious, like, because you have found the success on your own, do those sort of more traditional or perhaps outdated forms of success still appeal? Like, do you still want a big job on a late night comedy show? Does that kind of visibility still mean something when you have your own online?
4: I mean, of course, I think I. I always want to be you know, validated in the industry I want to go into. And just by doing this alone, I've gotten some pretty big interviews, which was like really surprising and cool. And I think it is just about maybe if I were to be in that position, like shifting the narrative a little bit, not playing it so safe. I think it, It is a thing of, oh, I can't blame it on my team of writers or my producers. Uh, Every dumb thing I say is from my own dumb brain, and I have to take responsibility for that. But I think it is important to just own up if you make a mistake, and if you say something slightly off or something you never even intended or something that could possibly be construed some way. It doesn't matter how you intended it. It, it matters how it was received. And I think I'm just going to try and remember that if it ever happens.
3: You could just get canceled now and then move on. You know, we should just cancel you right now on the show.
4: I should get canceled really early so that I can go on an apology tour. That'll get me attention. You're canceled. Thank you. <laughs>
3: Truly, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Kylie, I really appreciate your time. Thanks.
4: Of course. Thank you for having me.
3: Kylie Brakeman is on the internet. Her handle is Deadeye Brakeman. All one word, Deadeye Brakeman. Brakeman is kind of like... Pump the brakes, man. It looks like that, if that makes sense. I'm Sean Ramos from This Is Today Explained, and I just want to make sure your takeaway from today's episode isn't that, you know, impressions are bad. I love impressions. It's just that Alec Baldwin's impression isn't very good. Just today, my brother sent me a Trump impression from a comedian named James Austin Johnson that had me near tears for some hilarious reason I haven't figured out yet. It's an impression of Donald Trump Talking about Weird Al Yankovic. Enjoy.
2: Folks, we love Weird Al. We love Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al, an American original. He's got more money than sin. More money? He's probably, I don't know, maybe he's got more money than me. I don't know if he's got more money than me, but he's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of spunk and he's got a lot of talent. I've never seen anybody who gets famous playing accordion. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Who's, who's doing accordion? And not, we don't even know how it works. Science doesn't even know how it works. He gets the piano and he just, he squeezes it and it sounds really crazy. And Weird Al figured it out. God bless him. We think it's great that Weird Al figured out that accordion. I don't even know how they do We don't even know how we do it. Does it need batteries? We'll never know. We'll never know. And science doesn't know. But Weird Al was very mean to Coolio. Not very nice. Coolio was very upset with Mr. Weird Al. He didn't do... He didn't ask for the rights. He just went and did Amish paradise and he just didn't even ask for the rights. He didn't even ask for it. When he do uh, gangsters Paradise. He had such a big hit with gangsters Paradise. And, you know, with Amish Paradise, they, he, what they do is they take the music and they steal the whole thing. They just steal the music and they write a new words and it's a new song. And everyone goes, oh, it's so great. Uh, they, and he writes new words to it. And suddenly it's funny. Best comedy album. It'll never get best music. Never get best album. Breakout star. It'll never do it. They'll never get it to them, no CMAs, nothing. But people buy it, they like it, because it's a good product, and we love what Weird Al does. You know, Weird Al has originals. Night Santa went crazy. Albuquerque, but they'll never like it as much as white and nerdy. He was very mean to Mr. Chameleonaire, and we'll never like the originals quite as much as the parodies. We like the parodies so much, he does such a good job with it. Really, really good job. eBay, Backstreet Boys. You know, we did eBay years after we would totally forget. They come out with eBay and I had totally forgotten who are the Backstreet Boys, I don't even know, but we had an incredible conversation with Lou Pearlman.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.